Now, there are certain moments in world history that I think it would be absolutely fascinating if we could have been included in some of these conversations. To be the so-called fly on the wall, if you will, would be a lot of fun, meaning if we could just listen in to what was being said by world leaders. There's a picture that has always fascinated me. It comes from 1945 at the Yalta Peace Conference in the former Soviet Union. In this picture, there was the leader of the United States, the leader of the Soviet Union, the leader of the United Kingdom, and they were discussing what to do with Germany at the conclusion of World War II. But here in the picture is Winston Churchill, Joseph Stalin, and FDR. What a group. Can you imagine what their conversations might have included if you could have been a fly on the wall wall at that moment? What did Churchill and Stalin talk about? I think it would be fascinating to hear Churchill talk about anything. But in that particular moment, what on earth would it have been like to overhear these leaders of the world discuss things? Were they funny? Did they ask each other personal questions? Did they talk about their families? Did they talk about food? Who knows? But when powerful people talk to each other, when national leaders are together on that level, then the world is changed. The world is impacted by their conversation. This morning, we are privy to one of the greatest conversations, not in the history of the world, but in the history of the universe. It far exceeds any worldly power. We are invited into a conversation within the Holy Trinity, and the world is absolutely changed by a result of these words. So this morning, we are starting a new series. Uh, We're going to be going through John 17 for the month of August. Uh, Many of you know this passage, you know it well, you know it's often referred to as the high priestly prayer, and that that is a good description. Uh, These are the words of Jesus as our high priest, and he is praying, and he is praying to his Father. We chose this passage for a couple of reasons for this particular season of our church. Uh, Earlier this year, we preached through, quote, the Lord's Prayer, and learned more of what Jesus instructed us to do. But what I noticed as we prayed through that and all of my study, that that familiar prayer that we now conclude every sermon with before we come to the table, that's really not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is actually here in John 17 where Jesus is the one praying. Those familiar words of thy kingdom come and thy will be done, that was Jesus teaching us how to pray. For example, in that prayer, he he mentions uh, forgiving our debts, that is to forgive our sins. Of course, Jesus didn't have any sins. We have sins. So the real Lord's Prayer is here in John 17, where we listen to Jesus pray his actual words to his Father, where members of the Trinity are in dialogue, and we get to eavesdrop in on their conversation, in this holy conversation with the Father and with the Son. The second reason I want us to study these words this August is that after Labor Day, we're going to begin a verse-by-verse study of the book of Philippians. We'll be going through Philippians throughout the fall, and we will encounter God's instruction that we are to be filled with his joy regardless of our circumstances. And the only way that that will happen is if we truly understand and believe what God thinks of us. What our Savior thinks of us, what the Father says is true of us. How does Jesus think of us? What motivated our Savior to pray for us? And when we see his greatness and his care, joy really can be ours regardless of what is going on in our life. 
So here in John 17, we're invited into the passion in which God has demonstrated here on earth. And you and I are included in this master plan of his. All right, before we get started, let me offer a couple of observations about this passage. In John 17, Jesus is revealed in the very final hours of his life and ministry here on earth. In the preceding chapters, uh, we had seen that Jesus had been with his disciples for the Passover feast. He had instituted the Lord's Supper. He had given instructions regarding the Holy Spirit. He had taught his friends about his looming death and resurrection. He had preached to them. But after he preached, it was time for him to pray. Make no mistake and do not miss that. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed serious theological prayers. We have his words here. Our Savior was a man who prayed. The second observation I want us to have is simply this. And that is these words are so rich. We will barely scratch the surface of all that is here before us. Philip Melanchthon, a friend and colleague of Martin Luther during the Protestant Reformation, he preached through John 17. He preached 41 consecutive sermons over these verses, and then he looked at his uh, congregation and he apologized to them that he covered so little content in those 41 sermons. So with that being said, I apologize in advance for how little we're going to cover in the month of August. But here's the question for us this morning. What was on Jesus' heart before he went to the cross? What was on Jesus' mind as he prepared to die? What were his desires? What were his longings? What drove him to pray passionately? You and I are often compelled to pray for many reasons. But what compelled our Savior just before his crucifixion to cry out to his Father? That's what this chapter is about. What we're going to see this morning is that the longings of Jesus' heart reveal news for us that is greater than anything we could have ever thought of on our own, anything ever we could make up, and it is good news indeed for us. John Knox, the great Scotsman and church leader, while he was on his deathbed, he had John 17 read to him over and over and over again, testifying to what he said was the comfort his heart received as he heard the prayers of Jesus. So my prayer for us this morning is that our hearts will be comforted as we consider these great words. So let's look at this in two ways this morning. Jesus' heart revealed in two ways. First, his request, and then secondly, his reward. So Jesus' request and Jesus' reward, and truly may our lives be changed by the prayers of our Savior. Look back at his request. Look at verses 1 and look at verses 5 and see how similar they are that in what he asked. What was on Jesus' heart, I believe, is revealed by the specific request that he makes, but also the specific occasion in which he makes them. Notice the occasion of his request, the time, if you will. Before Jesus asks for anything, he acknowledges this. He says to his father, the hour has come come. He lifted his eyes to heaven, and he knows that this is the critical moment in all of world history that is before him. We know from the following chapters, of course, that the hour which has arisen for him was the time that Jesus' earthly life and ministry would come to an end. It was his time to die. It was time for him to go through the sufferings 
in which our sin had created. It was time for him to stand trial for ridiculous worldly charges. It was time for the father to allow the son to be humiliated by the very people he had created. It was time for him to be abandoned by his friends and face death without them. It was time for him to be lectured by Pontius Pilate, who knew practically nothing of which he spoke. And it was time for the Son of God to be nailed to a cross, to have been beaten and tortured first, in order for the sins of the world to be placed upon him. It was time for the full wrath of God the Father to be hurled against the one person who is qualified to receive it. It was time for the world to go dark for three hours because the Father could not look upon this earth because of the sight of the sin that was placed upon his Son. It was time for Jesus to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was time for Jesus to do what he came to earth to do. The hour had come. Now think about this time even deeper. Look back at verse 5 and notice another particular occasion that is mentioned in the prayer. Jesus mentions here as he's praying to the Father the glory which was his before the world began. That is before creation. Implying, if you will, and of course, that Jesus as our Redeemer Jesus as our Savior, Jesus as our Lord, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was very much alive and active before the world came to be, before God spoke the world into existence. Recognize, if the hour has come now, when did this hour begin? For all of creation backward, the clock had been set for this moment. The Holy Trinity, the angelic beings... All created things in the heavenlies had been on countdown for this hour. The hour had come. It was time for the creator of life to give up his. It was time to do the work. You know, one of the odd things about me, there are plenty of odd things about me, but I have multiple to-do lists every day. I write them down on scratch pieces of paper. I have one on my office back there right now, on my desk in my office right now. I have one at home. My family laughs when they read all the silly things that I write down. The reality is I like to write things down just so I can scratch them off and feel good that they are now scratched off. There are plenty of times throughout the week I will go to my to-do list and I'll write down something I've already done just so I can have the pleasure of scratching it off and feeling good that I've accomplished something. Understand, this moment in world history is different. This was not just one more thing for Jesus to do. This is what Jesus exists to do, was come at this hour. Theologians often refer to Jesus as our eternal redeemer. That is, before creation existed, there was a covenant, a covenant of redemption, where Jesus was always going to be our redeemer, long before the mere creation of this earth that we enjoy. The hour had come, and it was time for Jesus to do what he came to do. The other aspect of Jesus' request, of course, even more so than the time of it, is found in the precise request itself. Again, look back at verses 1 and 5 and notice exactly what Jesus asked. 
It was not some generic request. It wasn't just, bless me, Lord, today. It was rather this. Father, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Don't miss this. As Jesus prepared to go to the cross and face his execution, knowing that world history hangs in the balance of this moment, Jesus first prayed for himself. He wasn't praying for us yet. He wasn't praying for the church yet. He wasn't praying for his mission yet. First, he prayed for himself. Because if he does not finish the work which was before him, from all eternity past, all of the work prior would be null and void. But the heart of this prayer, what we really glean from overhearing this communication within the Godhead is found in this one word, glory. And it is a beautiful word. In this context, glory means simply to be brought to light, to reveal, to give the correct opinion of, that is to show the true nature, to reveal the truth so that everyone knows what the truth is. So this prayer is something like, oh God, bring to light to this world the work of Jesus and the work of the cross so that Jesus will bring to light the desire of the Father. Or more simply, Father, may the work being done on this cross accomplish everything you want it to accomplish. Jesus' heart before he went to the cross was that his work would be effective, that the Father would receive the sacrifice, and then the whole world would see it. If we want to glorify something, if we want to glorify someone, We tell the truth about that something or that someone. And when we tell the truth of them, if we tell the truth of him or her, we are bringing to light that which people did not already know to be true. If I want to bring to light, if I want to glorify the greatest baseball player who has ever lived, I would tell you about Ely De La Cruz, and you would know the truth of the Reds' rookie third baseman. And everyone would see the greatness that is. I know that's a silly comparison. I'm not comparing him to Jesus. But you would tell the truth about someone. Jesus' heart here is that the world would know the truth. That the Father's desire is for the Son to do what he is about to do. And the Son's desire is to glorify the Father by doing it. All that the Father wanted to be revealed, the Father will delight in the finished work of the Son. This is the request. This is the heart of God, to make it known. Now, we'll see the good news for us in just a moment, but before we get to our second point, there is an application here that we really have to acknowledge, and we can't just skip over this. There's a principle here that can't be ignored. If you ever thought of Jesus' work as simply going through the motions or just doing what had to be done or just checking a box to, to get it over with, Let this prayer reveal otherwise. You see, Jesus prayed now because he needed the spiritual strength to finish the mission that was before him. He needed the physical strength that only God could give him to complete the task. See, you have to know here, this was not an easy thing to do even for the sinless one. The demonic forces, the satanic forces were so great He needed his father's help. He needed the work of the Holy Spirit to be with him. He could not endure without the strength that comes through prayer to his father. 
He needed the Father's help. Now, please, it doesn't take much of a preacher to acknowledge simply this. If Jesus needed prayer to accomplish the work that was before him, certainly we do as well. That's not the point of this passage, but we have to acknowledge it. So for whatever you face this week, do you think you're so strong? you think you're so smart, so clever, so hardworking that you can just make it happen? Please see, that's not how Jesus viewed his task. All right, we've seen the request, but now, part two, let's consider the reward. Consider the result of what Jesus' task would accomplish. Now, we get a glimpse into the reality that people like you and me are included in this conversation between the Father and the Son. How we are impacted by the Father's willingness to give glory to his Son and the Son to glorify the Father. And we will see again, because the Father answers these prayers in the affirmative, we're gathered here this morning in a spirit of praise, in a spirit of worship, in a spirit of thanksgiving for all that he has done. Look at verses 2 and 3. Notice Jesus' willingness to suffer was for a particular group of people and their outrageous good. Friends, we're on holy ground as we look at these verses. These verses are about you and me and all throughout the world's history of who will trust in Jesus. But notice what is true of us. What is it that makes us so special as followers of Jesus? When our Savior prayed for himself, what thoughts of us came to his mind? Think about this in two ways. Think about the uniqueness of the people he was praying and then the uniqueness of our life in him. In verse 2, notice the unique people for whom Jesus references in the prayer. As he prayed, Jesus states that he had been given authority to grant salvation to the people of the earth. You see, Jesus gives what the Father gave him to give. He gives, we receive. His authority to grant life is revealed in the scope of all flesh. That means all types of people. Anywhere, anytime, body, soul, and spirit, the emphasis upon all in this context, it is there is no one who could be left out, not because of background or heritage or location, anything like that. In fact, we know from Revelation that every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people group, all can come. But catch this and notice the mystery. As we listen in on this private conversation within the Trinity, see And glean in on verse 2. And I hope the holiness and the power of God will grip your heart in encouraging ways this morning. Yes, Jesus has authority over every single person on the earth. No one is not included underneath his authority. He is the maker. He's the creator. He's the owner of all. And we accept the mystery of the next phrase. He gives life to all whom the Father has given to him. Those the Father gave to Jesus. Those special people who the Father has given to the Son. Who are those people? Who are those for whom the Jesus is praying? It is the people for whom, of course, that Jesus would die. To all whom you have given to me. That's Jesus' prayer. All whom you have given to him, the Savior. What a mystery. There's no limit to the kinds of people involved. However, it is only those the Father gave to the Son. We can't read that, can't study this without simply asking the question, 
Is that you this morning? Are you one of those people for whom Jesus prayed? For whom Jesus died? That really is the question, isn't it? If you're here this morning, please understand it's not an accident that you're hearing hearing these words. How do you know if you're part of these prayers of Jesus? How do you know if the Father gave you to the Son? I said this was a mystery. I love this quote from James Montgomery Boyce's attempt to answer this question in his commentary on this verse. He said this. He said, do you find stirrings of spiritual life inside of you? Is there an increase of awareness of spiritual needs? Do you find Jesus Christ to be the one attractive as a savior? Do you find yourself turning to him? If so, you have already received this gift. I love that picture. God is the one at work. I had lunch with Casey Willis, one of our elders, the other day, and he and I were talking about this passage and talking about this concept. And many of you know Casey uh, used to serve with Campus Outreach at the University of Kentucky. And he told me the story. I'd heard it before, but he shared, with it, shared it with me again, that back in his campus ministry days, he was leading a Bible study at the Sigma Chi House at UK. And this topic emerged. That is Jesus' ultimate authority over all people. Um, and then those that the Father gave to the Son and how you wrestle with those things together. And one student uh, there in the Sigma Chi house that day had a beautiful response. He said this, something like this. He said, if this is true, and it's not about me being a good guy, but it's about the mercy of God to bad guys like me, well, then that changes everything. This is about God, not about me. This is about his mercy and his kindness, not about how good of a person I'm trying to be. This is a story of God's goodness, not of mine. It changes everything if that is true. That's a perfect answer. In all of the confusion of this mystery, let this truth affect your life today. Friends, Jesus' prayer reveals that before the creation of the world, if you know Christ, you have been on his mind that long. Before he went to the cross, you were on his mind. Before he died, he cared for you, he prayed for you, he loved you. These aren't my words, these are Jesus' words. He wanted to finish his work on the cross so that his Father would be glorified. Because the Father's glory was to give us to Jesus. For him to be our friend, for him to be our king, for him to be our savior. If you want Jesus this morning, even a little bit, Jesus has been thinking of you for all creation. He's been praying for you and he is still praying for you. Let's close with this. In Jesus' reward, he gives these unique people a particular gift. It's verse three. We've heard this many times. He prays that we will receive, quote, eternal life. This is what we receive. This is our gift. It's what Jesus desired to give to us. Now, you might be tempted to think, as I was for many years, eternal life simply meant that we will live for a long period of time. That is true. But the real answer is found right here in the passage. This unique life that we have, yes, it's for a long period of time, but Jesus gives to us that we will know him and his Father forever. That we'll be part of this family. Eternal life is that we know him and he knows us. 
Do you see what Jesus wants? On his heart to finish this work is to be with us. His reward is to spend eternity with people like you and me. Our reward is that this is what his heart is. Within this greatest conversation ever recorded in world history is that the triune God wants us to be inside of his family forever. Jesus prayed for himself to endure what was about to happen so that we would be with him. And of course we know he finished the work. He did it. When he rose from the grave, he revealed the Father answered his prayers with a resounding yes. Jesus was glorified. The Father was glorified. And us, here we are giving praise to Jesus for his prayers. Here we are inside of his family, with our sins removed, with our future certain, with hope on our side, with living in praise of him. Why? Because Jesus prayed and God answered his prayer. Jesus glorified, the Father glorified, we included. You know, that great meeting of the world leaders back in 1945 it would have been pretty neat to have been a fly on the wall. But here's what's really interesting about that. We can look back now, all these years later, and realize they made some mistakes. They did some good stuff, but they didn't get it all right, history would record. As we consider this conversation within the Trinity, though, we see perfection. A perfect father, a perfect son, with a perfect plan, and that is for us to know him perfectly. For eternity. All praise to him. Amen. Amen. Let me pray and I will transition us into these words that the Lord gave us to pray. Well, Father, help us to believe this message. Lord, our minds, our hearts can be so overcome, overwhelmed with all that is around us, the noise that is. The tension of life, the anxieties, the things that we don't know how they're going to work out, real pressure. Oh, Father, calm our hearts today knowing how much you love us from all eternity past. We have been on your heart and mind. Cause us to believe. Oh, Father, I pray now as your son Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.